listening to With Woman, a podcast hosted by midwives Sophie and Ashley. Join us as we help you to navigate the transition from womanhood to motherhood and everything in between. With Woman is your unfiltered and raw guide to empowering you to trust the process in hopes that each episode leaves you feeling a little more supported through your journey. Before we get into this episode, a little disclaimer. Although we are midwives, the information discussed in this podcast is not intended to substitute the care or advice of your healthcare provider. And we swear a lot. So here's your warning on that too. Hello, welcome to episode one, part two. Thank you for tuning in with us again. And sticking it out this long in our big first episode. This section of this episode is a really special one. It's about birthing during the pandemic, which is very relevant for us right now. Yeah. And we're still in lockdown. Hopefully, though, there's light at the end of the tunnel a couple of weeks and then we'll be able to actually be able to go to restaurants and bars again. Not that I'll be going all bar. Yes, you will. (laughs) Mama needs some cocktails. (gasps) Actually, we need to celebrate releasing these episodes by going and sharing an apple martini. I think everyone, we we should book that in actually. But I think everyone can make an apple martini at home nowadays, can't they? I can't. I don't know how. I made my last batch a little bit too strong though. (laughs) I did forget to put the apple juice in, though. Bit of pumping and dumping after that one, was it? (laughs) Hells yeah. (laughs) So today's episode, we're going to be talking about how to navigate birthing through a pandemic. We're going to actually break it up into three sections to make it a little bit easier for listeners. Yeah, so the first section will be specific impacts on maternity services, which has been a really big topic, particularly in the media. Second section is going to be about vaccination in pregnancy and postpartum, which I know a lot of women are really Mm, scared about at the moment. Just getting conflicting information about whether it's safe, not safe, whether they should get it if they're breastfeeding. And then we'll also talk about resources and ways to cope. We'll slightly touch on antenatal and postnatal anxiety and depression and resources that you can access to help you along the way if you feel you need additional support yeah to just help you get through this pandemic really because the fourth trimester is really important i think and a lot of people underestimate how hard it can be yeah and i think that that's the postnatal services are the ones that have been hit hard the most in terms of restrictions yeah and i don't want to underestimate how much pressure our healthcare system has been under probably unlike anything we'll ever see again in our lifetime hopefully never see it again in our (laughs) lifetime surely (laughs) yeah look they're Definitely uncertain times, particularly for us living in New South Wales as we ride through this Delta strain in lockdown and we're just going to go into a deep dive of it all. I was actually really lucky that I birthed legit in the middle of this pandemic. I feel like it was during that little break in between the storm pre-Delta where we all thought we were out of the woods and things were like semi-normal for us. I think the only thing that was different was the visiting hours at the hospital that I birthed at, which was a private hospital. But my OB continued to have like my partner and I present and my my mum was even allowed to come to one appointment. That's insane. The fact that your mum could be there. Yeah, well, she substituted my partner. Oh, uh, you still could only have one oh, at yeah, a time? Yeah, one right. support person. Um, but my mum wanted to make sure that I was asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> I would come home and I'd be like, oh, my hips are really sore, my back's really sore. And she's like, you need to ask your obstetrician about that. I'm like, mum, it's completely normal. I feel like that's a classic like nurse midwife thing. You're either a hypochondriac 
or yeah. you're completely the opposite end of that spectrum where you like minimize everything. You're like, oh, it's fine. Well, I definitely knew that there was a lot of things during my pregnancy that weren't completely normal, but I think <laughs> my mum was always just like, you need to ask questions. <laughs> I shouldn't say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> she was very supportive. <laughs> so as we were putting together this episode, we asked women on our own platforms to provide insight into their different experiences of navigating the perinatal period during COVID. And we actually got a range of responses, but the most common theme was that particularly new mums felt completely robbed of their experience, which is heartbreaking. Oh, just hearing some of the stories that were coming through, I was just reading them in absolute just shock that it was even happening. Like I knew certain things like this would happen in the hotspot LGA areas, but actually listening to what these women had to go through was just... Yeah, and I don't know whether I was kind of naive. I think I was definitely naive. Which I feel kind of weird in saying that because I'm a I work we and work we, in healthcare. Yeah, it's just yeah. weird to think that I guess when you walk into a hospital, particularly state run hospital, you just assume that it's the same across the board and there's something we'll discuss shortly is that it's not and it's very different depending on where you're located within the state. Yeah, yeah. So when we actually discuss the impacts, we just really want to acknowledge that these are direct responses to trying to keep our community as safe as possible with the resources we have in a time that we never could have predicted. The system's response to the pandemic is definitely not linear and straightforward because things are always changing. So quickly. And they change really rapidly (laughs) as well. Like you would get, you know, working in the birthing unit, for example, a policy would come out at 3pm in the afternoon. All of a sudden things are different. So we really just want to acknowledge that the government won't always get it right, but they're doing what they can with what resources and knowledge that they have. Yeah. With Ash and I working through the pandemic, or me working through the start of the pandemic, (laughs) we (laughs) we definitely had to adapt our practice yes. um, at work but we did hear a lot of a lot of women trying to reconsider their model of care mm-hmm. so a lot of them were outsourcing and looking into private practicing midwives and looking into home births because they were just scared of the unknown of the hospital system and how quickly it can change were they even allowed to gonna have their partners present yeah. and yeah. i think that was coming out of everything happening in new york how they yeah. shut down whole maternity yeah. services and that partners weren't even allowed in delivery sweet yeah. for the birth and I think that then just scared a lot of women and support people are one of the most important aspects of a woman's birth a woman's journey yeah how she gets through it yeah and, and taking that away yeah. or the thought of that being taken yeah. away and being a midwife you can't be a midwife looking after a woman one-on-one and be their support person at yeah. the same time it would just be cha- so challenging for everyone well it's involved. just i mean perhaps if you're in a model of care or you you know you were on midwifery group practice for example you had one-to-one but the reality is is that yeah. a lot of people can't get into those models of care and therefore I care by staff on the floor and you're right you know it's we're too busy there's too much going on to be able to provide that continued support yeah I think one of the most frustrating aspects is the variations and restrictions and then the unpredictability that came from this like not knowing when things are going to change and how that inevitably leads to inequity and in access to quality maternal and the infant health care so this was really anxiety provoking for not only every woman or family member coming through the healthcare system but workers as well totally and you know 
speak from our own experience, Soph and I got really creative, particularly during antenatal appointments. I think particularly for male partners in general, they can already feel slightly removed from the process of pregnancy Mm. because it's not their bodies experiencing the journey and the physiological changes. So it's often hard for them to find the role that they play in this process and reducing this the access to antenatal visits for support people and particularly partners, I felt really had the potential to further isolate them by limiting their ability to be present. So I know Ash and I would just, anyone that came into the antenatal clinic, you'd always be like, do you want to get FaceTime up? Yeah. Is your partner there? And they're like, oh no, like he's working or something. Or well, sometimes he was in the car and they yeah. were like, yep. A lot of them would, though, get on FaceTime. They'd listen to the heartbeat. They'd ask their questions that mm. they want to ask. So it kind of included them into the appointments as well as much as we possibly could. A resource that was significantly impacted by the restrictions on maternity services were birthing classes. Initially, they were completely cancelled altogether and then recommenced via Zoom. I think they just realised that it was so detrimental to not only the mental health of pregnant women, but also their ability to prepare to have a baby. And that's something that is so important. And not only the women themselves, but the partners too. Yes. They're the ones that need to learn how to support their partner. That is such a big thing during birth. Huge. Having someone there that knows what you want, knows who you are as a person and how you're going to react to certain situations. And not only was the classes detrimental being cancelled, but also women weren't allowed doulas. They weren't allowed birth photographers. And not having any exception, which sometimes women could apply for an exception, but doulas had to get really creative within their own businesses. And they have. Yeah, they definitely have. (laughs) Um, I've seen a lot on Instagram at the moment that are making meals for the fourth trimester Mm. and they're really like nourished. I think also doulas could have really used this pandemic to their advantage in the sense of when you come in in spontaneous labour, it's the best for a woman to be at home as long as possible and doulas were somewhat, I think, still able to provide that home support before women came into the hospital. So the impact that they could have had there is quite huge. Yeah. And then, like you said, so if the postnatal services, again, fairly impacted in terms of restrictions to what was being provided. And that was a great market for doulas to then provide that continued support that would have been much better than what, you know, the community was able to offer. And with birth photographers not allowed, which I know a lot of women don't want their... <laughs> labor and birth photographed or anything like that but it got put on midwives or like partners <laughs> if they really want to take photos which some, I got. some midwives would volunteer <laughs> I absolutely love taking birth photos <laughs> Yeah, these are just some examples of the direct impacts to women during the last 18 months, really, which most of are still continuing today, especially in New South Wales yeah. and Victoria now. Yeah. The response to that from the community was portrayed in a number of different ways. I mean, some of you that are listening may be aware of the hashtag and birth restrictions. There was a petition circulating on social media platforms. It was a petition to Brad Hazard, who is actually a New South Wales health minister, addressing concerns of the isolation, particularly of birthing women. 
And that was a direct response to some blanket rules surrounding visitor policies within the maternity unit that were completely inflexible. I don't actually know a single midwife that would support the notion that women had to birth alone. Absolutely not. It goes against everything that we believe in. So the World Health Organization released a statement in September 2020, which strongly recommended that COVID-positive mothers and babies be kept together as it was determined that the separation had a far worse impact on the maternal bonding. And then also the breastfeeding rate. They supported this notion by reporting that the transmission of COVID from the mother to the infant did not cause severe illness on the baby. So they often recover quite quickly or remain completely asymptomatic, which is no symptoms at all. So before we go on, we'd like to actually contextualize this for a second. Now, one of the women that responded to our post is actually a woman who birthed her first baby with Sophie and I on MGP. And she's also a midwife and Mm. a dear friend of mine. Now, she lives in a local government area hotspot, which is a reference term that we now use to distinguish high COVID positive populations within Sydney. And she birthed her second baby, I think about a month ago now. Yeah, it was about that. Um, So right in the peak of the lockdown, she described her experience as feeling unworthy of care based on where she lived. Which is just, again, so heartbreaking. Some of the things that she actually experienced, she was required to have a COVID swab (laughs) 72 hours before birthing, which she planned to go into spontaneous labor. So I think the last thing that you want to be thinking about is when should I get my swab? Because if you've ever been at term or a little bit overdue and you've had that thought of I just want to go into labor on my own naturally I don't want to be induced I feel there's there's a time clock the last thing you need is the added pressure as well of having a COVID swab another thing I can't imagine wanting to do is have a COVID swab in the middle of transition which is exactly what happened to this woman (laughs) try telling any woman to do anything whilst they're transitioning is not the easiest thing ever whenever I look after a woman in transition I always wonder what I will be like because I feel like There's a lot of different types of transition, but I'm going to be one extreme to the other. I'm either going to be, like, so vocal or I'm going to be a complete mute and, like, everyone has to be shh. I think every woman really surprises themselves when they're definitely in labour, but transitioning anyway, and you can never pick what you're going to be like. I remember when I was trans... I'm pretty sure it was when I was transitioning. (laughs) I got to the point and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. And I was sitting in the bath and the midwife was trying to get the heartbeat full leaning over the bath. And I remember in my midwife brain, I was thinking I should probably change position because this is so hard for her. But then in a laboring woman's mind, I was like, I am not fucking Absolutely moving. not. <laughs> this is not happening. I love that you like partially are rationalizing what's going on, but then you're also like not. Nah, I'm so in the zone. I'm not doing anything. I do definitely remember thinking when I was at the point and I was like, I need something. I cannot do this anymore. Mm. I definitely switched and I was like, I think I'm transitioning. And that actually helped me get through, I think. Oh man, I hope that's me so bad. I think it's every midwife's worst nightmare is thinking that you're rocking up to hospital, hoping that you're like seven, eight centimetres and you're one. Or closed. Or closed. (laughs) But yeah, no woman transitioning should ever have to have a COVID swab. So really, I don't think you can tell any woman to do anything whilst they're transitioning. But another thing that this woman had to deal with was postnatally, she wasn't allowed to even have food dropped to the hospital. Like, not even delivered to the front door and she could go down and get it. So she literally just had to eat hospital food. Gross. Oh, it's a solid note from me. That's a recipe for early discharge. <laughs> that is probably one of the main reasons I went private. <laughs> 
Kidding. I heard about the high tea before before I heard Sophie was pregnant. Yeah, I even had high tea on like day four, which was amazing. But um, that wasn't the main reason. <laughs> also, postnatally, she didn't get any home visits, which is such a big thing. No home visits, no support people on the ward, so her partner couldn't stay with her or even visit during the day. That is complete isolation. And ongoing from that, it was hard for her to get into her GP. Mm. She also didn't get the hearing, hearing screen um, hearing screen for a little while. Which is usually done around about 48 hours of age, yeah. between 24 and 48 hours of age, so done whilst in hospital. You compare this story to yours, Soph, and the inequality is so obvious. You birth two months apart, it's not a big difference really in terms of timing whatsoever. And it kind of also perhaps highlights a little bit of the social hierarchy of the public versus private healthcare system. Mm. To kind of explain how it is that women are having such different experiences, it's important to actually explain how our government health system works. So in New South Wales Health, um, it's divided into different health districts and each local health district has their own policies that are mirrored off directives from the state. And then private hospitals are their own kettle of fish again. So they have their own individual policy. Now, local district policies are developed with a attention to the service capabilities of the hospitals within the network. So that means that policies can often differ based on the individual hospital. So this is why we're actually having such differing stories of experiences within our own state. So for example, current maternity services within the LGA hotspot areas of Sydney, the staff are required to wear full PPE, so personal protective equipment, whilst interacting with women in labour due to the high volume of potential and also COVID-positive women coming into birth. Which I would just find it so hard to wear full PPE whilst looking after a labouring woman. I feel so sorry for all the healthcare workers working in ICU and ED at the moment. Yeah. Like, even... I was even, when I was still working before maternity leave, just having to wear a mask the Mm. full time, and even that was hard enough. The, The use of PPE is also restricting ways in which women can birth as well. So I know that water immersion for some hospitals cannot be used as a form of pain relief. And also the use of nitrous, Mm. yeah, the gas for women. That was a big thing at the start too. Yeah. So um, nitrous oxide is uh, a relatively safe... Happy gas. Yeah, happy (laughs) gas essentially uh, that's used as a form of analgesia. There were concerns initially around whether or not it was safe to use because as the woman breathe out through the nitrous tubing, obviously there's little particles of potential droplet matter, water, that can be spread around the room. So I was concerned that, you know, if a woman happened to be COVID positive and utilising that form of pain relief, that perhaps she would be unknowingly spreading COVID around the room that she was in. And a lot of women were saying that they weren't allowed to use the nitrous oxide about 30 minutes before (laughs) requesting an epidural. So try taking away the only form of pain relief that a woman has on board whilst she's waiting for an epidural. When she's, and usually it's at the point where you've completely had enough. I'm conflicted about these policies. As unfair as these rules may seem, they're implemented not only to protect hospital resources and patients, but also the well-being of its staff. Healthcare workers choose to work in their profession to care and assist others. And I don't think you get into nursing or anyone working in the healthcare system. Yeah. Get into the role thinking that this is going to happen in your lifetime or this is what your job's going to entail. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen reports that Victoria's closed whole maternity units 
clients due to poor staffing as a result of close contact COVID exposure. Yeah, and it's not like the staff just need to get through the pandemic. Like, this is their job. People have illnesses other than COVID. Yeah. These rules are in place to try to relieve a little bit of pressure and really just try to prevent heavy burnout. And I have friends working in these environments that are physically and emotionally exhausted. You can't hide from the realities of the situation. Nah. If a ward closes down and multiple staff are forced into hotel quarantine, the burden is ultimately placed on the remaining staff to pick up those extra shifts and that's how that ripple effect of burnout happens. And it's, it's such a hard yeah, balance. it is. <laughs> like, and I don't think we'll ever get a real balance of it all because as you said like the government trying to learn and put policies in place every single day yeah and the last thing you want to do is leave vulnerable women even more vulnerable by limiting their access to health resources but where's the line another point of kind of found hard to digest is the inequity in the provision of care during the pandemic. Mm. So a recent meta-analysis that was published in The Lancet in March of this year showed that global maternal and fetal outcomes have worsened since the beginning of the pandemic. In particular, the rate of stillbirths increased by 28% in low to middle income countries. That's a lot. These findings clearly suggest that there's an inefficiency in healthcare systems or their ability to cope with the demand as well. But in the same study, it was also noted that little or no change to stillbirth rates for those in high income areas. So far, there's also seems to be no rise in stillbirth rates in Australia. Something that I'm worried about as well is that all the babies that are born into this pandemic like have the same social skills that other children are going to have because they've been locked in their houses for these first few vital months of their lives and my son for example is only seeing my face every single day yeah his dad's face every single day doesn't even get to know his grandparents properly he's getting to know them through a screen yeah like my mum is nanny in a box through facetime She'll love being referred to nanny in a box. <laughs> I honestly FaceTime my mum every morning and afternoon, sometimes throughout the day as well. She must seriously just see my name come up and be like, oh, she's calling me again. <laughs> but really, that's the only way he's getting social skills and getting to know people. And surely this is going to be detrimental to their skill. development. Yeah, their development skills, yeah. really. And the fourth trimester is by far, I think, the hardest part of having a baby. And I haven't even had a baby. It's definitely hard. (laughs) So, you know, like there's that saying that it takes a village to raise a child and your village, like you said, isn't isn't with you. They're Um, there, you know, via the internet and over the phone, but they're not with you physically helping you. It's true. Like the pandemic has literally removed our village. Yeah. Um, And I think it's hard not only on the mothers going through it, but the families as well, because when I've FaceTimed my mum and I'm completely bawling my eyes out and I need her help, she can't do anything. Like, she can only give me advice and support over the phone, which I know is hard on them as well. But I think we've just been talking about all the negs. Yeah. (laughs) There are some positives with being negs. There's definitely some positives to this (laughs) pandemic. And they're in no particular order. They're just some thoughts that we had, but, like, the main one... (laughs) is not having any family member barging into your room two minutes after having a baby while your legs are still in stirrups. And you're about to be sutured. Because that happens way more than you actually think. I think midwives play also a role in being hospital security. Look, it didn't happen to me, but I've definitely witnessed it a million times before as well. Like, especially father-in-laws or fathers, they'll be like, that's okay, like, I'll just stay up this end of the bed and I won't even see anything. And you're like, you literally can't not look. 
Yeah, you will look. There's a spotlight on her vagina. And also, give the parents a little bit of time to just enjoy their love bubble. So, that's number one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even though we said it in no particular order. (laughs) Another one is the reduced visiting allows for more time for education and then also to bond with the baby. Which a lot of women saw this as a positive and a negative. Mm. So, but... I think particularly the first 48 hours or 72 hours whilst you're establishing breastfeeding, if that's how you choose to feed your baby, is so crucial. That baby should be living skin to skin with you or your partner. And when you have multiple visitors coming in and out and constantly wanting to hold your baby, I mean, they the come, baby around. They don't come to visit you. Oh, yeah. They're just there. <laughs> so you can't not hand them your baby. I mean, you could, but, you know, you know why they're there. And also, don't ever rock up to a hospital room to visit a baby and not bring the mother something. Like, you need to rock up with food or something. Yeah. (laughs) Another one would be working from home during the pandemic, which a lot of people are doing this at the moment. Yeah, the last thing you'd want to do is commute on the train. Women that faint on trains on the platforms oh because (laughs) you're 35 weeks pregnant you're just trying to get through your last week or last few weeks of work and it's hot it's sweaty it's clammy crowded so it would be a lot easier to just stay in your pajamas all day or your active wear and just Mm. walk out to the lounge room and do your work from there yeah and not having to buy a whole new wardrobe either yeah bliss i had to buy a lot of clothes actually did you yeah I just went mostly with flowy dresses mm. and I bought those really comfy, like, corded woolly pants. Oh, uh, The yep, stretchy yep, ones. Yep. Yeah, I lived in them as well. Having your partner's home, I oh, think, would yeah. be another positive too. That could be a positive and a negative. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love my partner and also I never worked from home, but I know my brother and his partner both worked at home or they're still working at home throughout the whole pandemic and they had an office and they lasted like an hour in the office together. They had to separate. I love that. (laughs) I have heard of couples taking like separate meal breaks as well. Oh yeah. And throughout the day and like they're going their own walks by themselves, (laughs) which I think is needed, especially when you're living with someone full time and then you're working with them as well. And I think they'd get to know their partners in a different light too totally especially the way they behave like at work (laughs) and the way that they converse with people over the phone and stuff it'd be pretty interesting actually it would actually you know i think at the end of the day like we're we're all individually impacted by this and i i really think it's the ability for all of us to be empathetic and compassionate towards one another that'll make the biggest difference in a woman's experience during this time so we're gonna explore vaccination in pregnancy and postpartum and that includes breastfeeding mothers as well now vaccination is definitely somewhat a contentious issue and before we continue we'd like to say that vaccination in any form including the COVID-19 vaccine in pregnancy is not compulsory and the debate in regards to vaccination in general has been very heated and we don't want to weigh in on this at all with our personal opinions and we fully support that every woman has the right to make an informed choice in regards to her body and her baby. So previous advice had not recommended COVID vaccination to pregnant women due to insufficient safety data, which led to difficulties in generalising advice to pregnant women. However, as of the 19th of August, the Australian government now recommends the Pfizer vaccine during pregnancy and also whilst breastfeeding. They've even made pregnant women a priority group in the vaccination process. There is evidence suggesting that women have a higher risk of developing severe illness if contracted coronavirus at any stage during pregnancy compared to a matched non-pregnant woman of the same age. 
There was also a high risk of premature birth attributed to complications related to COVID, and therefore it has been determined that vaccination is the best way to decrease these risks to the mother and also the baby. So following from that, we just wanted to throw out a couple of stats. Some hard facts. Yes, why not? So COVID-positive pregnant women are three times more likely to need ICU admission and ventilation. They're five times more likely to require hospital admission and they're one to two times more likely to give birth prematurely and therefore require a NICU admission, which those stats are... Pretty significant. Yeah, they are, actually. For those that don't know, NICU is a neonatal intensive care unit. So um, babies born significantly premature often require admission to a NICU in order to grow up, essentially. So to kind of explain this a little bit more in depth, itrogenic preterm birth is a term used to describe preterm birth caused by a medical illness. Now, in this case, we're talking about coronavirus. Coronavirus itself doesn't necessarily induce a preterm labor. Rather, it's the women's deterioration that leads to the decision to deliver the baby sooner. Now, in addition to this, studies have shown that certain risk factors attribute to having a higher risk of developing severe COVID illness whilst pregnant. So these include pregnant women over the age of 35, uh, pregnant women with a high BMI, pre-existing diabetes or hypertension, and hypertension is high blood pressure. Therefore, these are women are more likely to require ICU admission and ventilation or respiratory support. So a decision to deliver a baby premature is based on a number of factors and also a heavy risk assessment by the care providers. But one of the key treatments for COVID within an ICU is to position the patient relatively flat. This helps to expand their lung capacity. However, as we all know, from roughly 20 weeks gestation, women are strongly advised not to lie flat, as this can actually restrict blood flow to and from the baby. When women get pregnant, I feel like that's one of the number one things they come into the antenatal clinic saying, like, oh, I woke up last night and I was lying on my my back. back. Like, what do I do? I always used to just say, prop yourself up with a little pillow on the side under your hip. Or you've woken up for a reason. Yeah. Right? So... You move. Yeah. <laughs> Usually my partner would wake me up and be like, you're on your back. I'm like, I'm not on my back. There's a pillow under me, but thanks for waking me up anyway. Yeah. I've only been struggling yeah. to fall back asleep. I've had insomnia. <laughs> oh. Now, this guideline has been largely supported by RANSCOG, which is the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, which is a non-for-profit professional body that supports obstetric doctors with standards of practice and benchmarks, really, for doctors working in women's health. It also has been largely supported and endorsed by ATAGI, which is the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation. Both of these organisations give advice to the health minister that helps to determine policies. Now, worldwide, pregnant women have actually been receiving the vaccine since it became available, particularly those living in high COVID risk areas, as it was deemed that the risk of contracting COVID significantly outweighed the risk and implications associated with being vaccinated. Now, worldwide, pregnant women have been receiving the vaccine since it became available, particularly those living in high COVID risk areas, as it was deemed that the risk of contracting COVID significantly outweighed the risks and impacts associated with being vaccinated. Now, most of the research that's available has been published within the last 6 to 12 weeks and is exclusive to the Pfizer vaccination. And it's also mostly observational. Observational, yeah. Yeah. 
And at this stage, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the other vaccine on offer here in Australia, is currently not strongly supported for use in pregnancy. And actually, Moderna is mm. now available as well, but there isn't many studies um, with Moderna and pregnant women. Use so, in pregnancy, yeah. yeah. So that one's also not recommended at this stage. So I've gone full Nerdburger. on researching the Pfizer vaccination. I'm glad this is you doing this and not me. (laughs) And to also try and understand the differences between vaccines. So I'm going to attempt to explain this and I'll do it quickly and as simply as possible because we've got a whole season of With Women for you to listen to and we don't really want you failing on us now out of boredom. (laughs) All right, you ready? Here she goes. (laughs) All right, so vaccines basically train the immune system to recognise and respond to the disease-causing part of a virus. To do this, vaccines traditionally contain either a weakened version of the virus or a purified signature protein of the virus. Now, in the Pfizer vaccine, they use a different technology altogether, and this is referred to as mRNA or messenger RNA, which I may add has been a contentious issue of late because it's new technology. However, it's actually recently come out in a few articles that it's been around for a decade. It's just, it's not commonly used in the production of vaccination. So every day as we go about our lives, mRNA molecules constantly carry genetic information coded in our DNA from the nucleus of cells to other parts of the cells called ribosomes. That then is interpreted to make messages that create proteins that carry out essential biological processes within our body. So... You really have gone Nerdberg on I know. This, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I like... And you can't narrow it down either. It's actually quite complex. I feel like... <laughs> this is me, like, making it simp. But I do feel like women getting the vaccine need to know about this. This is how vaccines work. Exactly. And this is how this one works. And this is why... The reason why we're going through this so intricately is because you need to know why it's safe for use in pregnancy. Yeah. And I feel like this is pretty much the number one thing that pregnant women are worried about during this as well because they're worried about if it's going to harm them or the pregnancy or baby anyway before i lose my train of thought (laughs) keep going okay (laughs) so when pfizer is injected into the muscle cell this specific mrna teaches the cell to remember one of the defining features of the coronavirus and that is the spike protein and then begins producing it so As this protein is foreign, it then triggers an immune response creating antibodies that learn to attack the virus if it ever becomes in contact with it in the future. This is triggered by the recognition of these individual spike proteins. Now, it's important to note that the vaccine components do not cross the placenta and affect the developing baby as the bulk of the vaccine is actually metabolized into the muscle it's injected into, aka your arm. That's really interesting. (laughs) Is it though? Yeah. <laughs> Are you with us? <laughs> Are you still here? <laughs> now, the biggest question that we get that every woman wants to know about is does the vaccination affect pregnancy outcomes? And to answer it quickly, it's no. No. From research so far, it's no. Now, there's actually a really good YouTube video posted by Dr. Melanie Jackson. Um, I think her social media is the Melanie the Midwife. She's a private practicing midwife, and she discusses recently published articles on vaccination outcomes of pregnant women, one of which is a study from the US which reported on pregnancy outcomes of women vaccinated with the Pfizer during their pregnancy. Now, out of their 827 women, 115 of them experienced pregnancy loss and 712 had a live birth, which these rates are similar to women who were not vaccinated they in pregnancy. Were, yeah, they were actually pretty much bang on. So basically normal stats 
So they also found that there's no increased incidence of stillbirth or miscarriage as a result of the vaccine. There's also additional evidence from a study of 35,000 women who were vaccinated where it was reported that there was no additional side effects to pregnant women or their babies. And a lot of the women included in this study either lived in high-risk COVID populations or were healthcare workers. Researchers have also now started collecting cord blood samples. So for those that don't know, cord blood is blood collected from the umbilical cord just after birth, which is actually the baby's blood. It's been found that women who have been vaccinated during pregnancy have actually passed on antibodies to their babies, suggesting a certain amount of antibody protection and immunity in the newborn. This has also been the case in breast milk. However, the level of immunity or how long it actually lasts for remains unknown at this stage. So we've talked about impacts on maternity services and we've talked about vaccination in pregnancy. We thought we'd also discuss how to use technology to your advantage and also resources to help you cope through this time. So we know that this has been an incredibly overwhelming and somewhat isolating time for everyone and we're constantly being bombarded with advice during this pandemic, whether it's from friends... The media. Oh, the media, <laughs> healthcare workers. So like us <laughs> in this podcast. We're just throwing more at you. <laughs> so the long-term psychological impacts as a result of this pandemic are unknown. And at this stage, we're still going through it, but I suspect that they're going to be fairly significant. Yeah. Yeah. The incidence of women experiencing postnatal depression is one in seven, and this is pre-pandemic. So yeah, we both imagine that this is going to be increased a lot post-pandemic. But between March and October 2020, the number of new callers to the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, which is PANDA, helpline doubled, as did the call times, suggesting increased frequency and intensity of illness. Most of these calls, we want to note, were made out of Victoria, which experienced a prolonged lockdown in 2020. Which I heard on the news the other day mm. that Victoria, out of the entire yeah. world, is the number one place that has been locked down the most. And apparently, oh. that the day that they hit that was the day that they had an earthquake. That is insane. <laughs> I also think, too, that there is such a thing as toxic positivity. Yeah. It's like one end of the spectrum yeah. to the other. <laughs> it is. Um, and through this time, we really need to allow space for our emotions life isn't always a good vibe and that's okay we also don't need to label everything all the time either like it's human nature to have days that you're feeling just a little bit off yeah and you're allowed to have them too exactly and i just think that there's an immense amount of pressure on mothers to look feel and parent a certain way which can be so harmful to our mental health yeah like you always hear people say things like particularly during this time as well oh well you should be grateful like your partner can still work or Mm. this could be so much worse and i just think conversations like this can be so harmful to new mothers experiencing elements of anxiety and depression yeah you definitely hear people say like you should be grateful like you guys are healthy Mm. your whole family's healthy Mm. just and i think it just takes away from what you're feeling in that moment. It minimises Yeah, it does. You're allowed to have really shitty days where you're not feeling great through this pandemic. And you should feel safe enough to have conversations as well and to vocalise how you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And not bottle it up. Yeah, agreed. So I bought a gratitude journal at the start of lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Don't laugh. I'm not laughing. (laughs) No judgement. It's a really great idea, Ash. (laughs) I did it. I bought it as a grounding exercise. Again, because I was influenced. 
Yeah, and you like to focus on on myself but I was influenced because I thought that I should be doing something that's grounding who were you influenced by an influencer yeah it was definitely Instagram (laughs) well it was the five minute gratitude journal if anyone knows what that is I bought that actually I think it was influenced by my roommate I think she bought it first and then I bought it but I'd seen it all over Instagram anyway I bought it as a grounding exercise and to focus my overthinking brain on something else where I could kind of like remove head noise but it's really boring. <laughs> and it just made me realize that I actually show gratitude in life's little moments instead. But my point is, is that it is important to set time for yourself to decompress and just bloody chill out, whatever that looks like. Yeah. But at the same time, don't put pressure on yourself to feel a certain way and don't suppress the way you're feeling either. Everyone just needs to sit in their feels sometimes. Like, my body is sometimes not a temple. It's a garbage bin, and I just want to fill it with junk. Yeah, I definitely do too. (laughs) (laughs) I think you just need to find a balance and have empathy towards yourself in the process. We could go on about this for days. (laughs) We actually could. I'm on the verge of going on a massive tangent. I won't. We won't. (laughs) We'll edit this out. (laughs) Also, though, if you find that you're really not able to shift that heaviness feeling or your anxiety is truly peaking, then there are some actually amazing resources directed specifically for pregnant women and new mothers that are easily accessible, so please engage with them. There's Raising Children Network website. Um, If you're not coping, as we mentioned before, Panda provides free telephone support for women experiencing postnatal depression or anxiety. There's also COPE, C-O-P-E, the Centre of Perinatal Excellence, which is the mum drum. And there's also videos normalising conversations surrounding perinatal mental health. Yeah, so website, these yeah. ones are really important if you feel like you just need some extra support. Now, Soph and I are very big on the whole you do you thing. <laughs> but by all means, if you want to sit on the lounge with a tub of Messina in your undies mm. and watch Beverly Hills Housewives. I'm obsessed with Beverly Hills Housewives. <laughs> Then go for it. (laughs) Actually, you get me a reality. Any reality, really. (laughs) But when you're done doing all of that, I think it is really important to kind of do something a little bit more proactive to kind of balance things out because there's nothing worse than a sugar come down. So here's a couple of things that we thought might be useful during this time. And we're no experts. Listen to this. Yeah, we think we came up with a pretty good list. (laughs) Firstly, focus on what you can control and not what you can't. Yeah, that's an important one. Yeah. Switch off from social media, even though it connects you to the world, friends, family, even if you just reduce it a little Mm. bit or set time restrictions that can even, you know, give you notifications of how long you've been on the app because you can do that. I've done that before. Yeah, you turned it off. Like, Fully. I've done, yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> I turned it off too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, I'm like, don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> but if you are browsing some pregnancy birth-related pages, mm. there's um, on Instagram, Birth with Beth. Core and Floor Restore, um, they are actually offering free antenatal classes. So if you're a little bit... Um, strapped for cash. Strapped for cash, you know, financial circumstances, a little bit wobbly at the moment, then definitely jump on that. Uh, the Midwife Mama. And obviously there's like calm birth, hypnobirthing, she birth. They, they're all um, antenatal resources. They all have their own Instagrams as well. There's also on YouTube hypnobirthing um, and pregnancy mm. mindfulness, which is also free. There's some good ones on there, actually. Yeah, yeah. Meditation, that's a good one. 
You meditated. Yeah, I did a lot of meditation throughout my pregnancy, which I did a hypnobirthing course, Mm -hmm. so that comes with meditation tracks that you mm-hmm. listen to every single night and mm-hmm. I did it every single night when I was going to bed. I'd like to I'm say I'm so I... surprised by that. Oh look, I started at like maybe twenty eight weeks. Okay. Was which it... is late for hypnobirthing. You meant mm. to start it a lot earlier, but I was working, you know, you get busy and then you're like, oh my God, I'm 28 weeks. I should start hypnobirthing. <laughs> <laughs> which I'd Shit, like I'm to pregnant. say I hypnobirthed, but uh the tracks really help. <laughs> no, 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 they did. Fresh air. Yeah. And sunlight. That one is honestly so important. Yeah, and underrated. Sunlight's good. Boosts your vitamin D levels, which are crucial as your baby relies on calcium and phosphorus for healthy bones. Mm-hmm. So get out there and get walking. If you're term or post-dates or overdue, um, get in the gutter. Start gutter walking. I actually told someone at work today, get in the gutter. There you go. She was like, excuse me. Gutter walking for <laughs> heavily pregnant women can help really just bring down the baby and bring on labor. So for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's where you walk in the gutter with one foot up on the the top of the gutter and yeah. like one on the street, but just do not trip. Also calling friends and family, FaceTime. Mm. Oh, I'm so glad we have FaceTime around. It's Nanny honestly, in a box. Nanny in a box. <laughs> FaceTime has saved me, and I'm sure it has for a lot of other people at the moment. Eat well. I know we're just talking about Messina and whatnot. We did say balance. Balance is key. Nutritionist food. Nutritionist? Nutritional food. (laughs) (laughs) You need some nutritional food. And also getting some sleep. Getting into a sleep routine. How's your sleep routine? Yeah, not good. (laughs) I wish my child would sleep a little bit better. But hey, fourth trimester. Love that life. (laughs) Um, Even developing a morning routine, I think, would be useful too. Like set an alarm so you wake up at the same time every day. As we said, meditate without (laughs) your crystals. Hey, you can meditate with crystals. You can do that too. (laughs) Um, Also, writing yourself a to-do list. Mm. Actually, so you just get some stuff done rather than just going in day in, day out and then getting to the end of the week and not feeling like you've actually done much. Yeah, especially if your days are quite repetitive, like if you're working from home or if you're in the fourth trimester and you feel like it's a bit Groundhog Day-ish, then I think a to-do list with simple tasks. Yeah. Even if it's just like really simple things like... Get dressed. (laughs) Have a shower. (laughs) Oh, I washed my hair last night. It felt amazing. Actually, also, postpartum hair loss is real. <laughs> just want to add that in there. Experiencing that at the moment. <laughs> anyway, tangents, tangents, back we come. <laughs> so unrelated. <laughs> I know, but we were on the tangent. I just want to use the platform to tell everyone my hair's falling out. <laughs> I'm losing my hair. <laughs> I'm molting. <laughs> Our photo shoot's going to look really Ooh. good next week, isn't it? Honestly, it's put a so hat on thin. you. <laughs> if Sophie's wearing bucket hats in our promo stuff in the future on the pod, you know why. <laughs> Another good one is acupuncture and massages, which are still available at the moment. You can get them if you're pregnant. You're and well postpartum. aware you, you love a massage. I love a good massage. Massage? Massage. <laughs> There's also different apps that you can download as well that can help you out. There's Mind the Bump, which is a Headspace mindfulness app. There's also Headspace, which is currently offering free mental wellbeing sessions for parents and carers. I think that's so cool. Yeah, that is really good, actually. I use Headspace 
quite a bit, even before Same. I was pregnant. Yeah. Like with the, work um, anxiety yeah. and stress. I'd, Their yeah. sleep meditations are lit. And they sit like, oh, oh. they're so relaxing, aren't they? Andy. Yeah. If Andy ever leaves Headspace, <laughs> I will track Come him down. Come on over. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Lol. Um, Headspace actually has a sale there at the moment. Yeah, I think they have um, half the, price yearly subscriptions yeah, or something like yeah. that at the moment. Hopefully it's still running. So jump on to Headspace and have a little squizzy. There's also places that you can call. So there's the breastfeeding hotline, which is 1-800-MUM-TO-MUM, which is the Australian Breastfeeding Association, or you can refer to their website as well. And also, if you've already had a baby, their contact details are in the blue book. Yeah, that you get they at are. Birth. Yeah. It's run by lactation consultants, so the information and advice that you get is... Is actual real advice. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike this. <laughs> Unlike us. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> There's also a few good books that we thought we'd recommend as well. Birth Skills by Juju Sundin. Which this one's really good. I read this throughout my pregnancy. Um, One of the midwives at work actually told me to read this whilst I was pregnant. And it really gives you actual ways to mentally cope in labor as well yeah it's good like tangible advice yeah yeah so that's definitely a good one there's the first 40 days as well that's another goodie yeah mindful birthing uh reclaiming childbirth as a rite of passage and there's one that I've just ordered called The Birth Space, which... Yeah, I want to read this after you're done. Yeah, yeah. Appara- I've had two friends recommend this to me. I haven't read it yet, so don't come at me if it's terrible. But apparently it's very women-centred and very aesthetically pleasing, like a nice little coffee table book. It did look very nice, <laughs> yeah. the picture that you sent me, yeah. <laughs> but don't underestimate how good it is to just get in contact with friends and family too how important it is to reach out yeah and you can get really good advice especially from friends that have had babies before but you can also get unsolicited i was about to say some of it's so trash but yeah you can decipher that yourself yeah just i think if i can give any advice to anyone it's just take what you want from yeah whatever information you get Mm. education and just use whatever's working for you yeah um, also, you can join online mothers groups, which is run by Child and Family Health, which yeah. you get connected to your child and family health when you discharge from hospital. Look, the fact we could do a whole episode on birthing through a pandemic is pretty bloody wild. It's also a really overwhelming time for a lot of people. The loneliness and lack of connection can be so difficult. So if you take away anything from this episode, we hope it's that you feel empowered to just do things in your own time, have discussions with your healthcare providers and make considered choices. And this is all new as well. You're not alone. We've got you. (laughs) If your plans and ideals of what this experience might be for you aren't what you envisioned, it's okay, really. And just try your best to find the little things that spark you joy. The best relationship you can have is the one with yourself and that enables you to be the best mother you can be. And just really be kind to yourself and others. And others. So thank you for listening to this episode of With Woman. We hope you found this useful for your journey and you can find us on Instagram at withwoman.thepodcast. So flick us a follow and get amongst it. You'll find our latest episode updates there and also please feel free to slide on into our DMs if there are any topics you'd like us to discuss in the future. That's it for us. Bye. Bye.